morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You're with the Double L team, Lyle and... Lawson! Lawson, how are you this morning? Oh yeah, I'm just stoked, Lyle. Stoked? Yeah. Stoked. Just happy. Happy. Just okay, that sounds good. Really, really awesome. Why are you stoked this morning? Because... And I'm not going to get too much into the details, but I had a dream last night that uh, we were leaving Faith FM. Okay, so this is this is why Lawson is stoked. Yeah, I get it. I'm not going right. to get into the details, but we um, had, I had a dream last night we were leaving Faith uh-huh, FM. Uh-huh. And then, you know, as my dream was this kind is, of coming is... to an end, in the distance I hear the bum, 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 bum. And then it's getting louder, bum, 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 and then I wake up and it's my alarm. And, and we're I, not leaving Faith FM. And we're not leaving Faith FM. And because we're not here. leaving Faith FM, you have lots to be thankful yeah, for. Yeah, exactly. I love Faith FM. I love uh, coming here, speaking, talking to you guys. Um, you know, I love our bosses here at Faith FM. Uh, hi. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> keep going, keep going. You're earning some brownie points. <laughs> dude, dude, I, I just love it. It's so good. Anyways, yeah. Yeah, praise the Lord. That's what I'm grateful for this morning. What are you grateful for this morning, Lyle? I'm grateful for... Well, we had a frost this morning. Yeah. Like like a full-blown frost. Like, okay, so here's what I'm grateful for. That we have made it through to uh, June 16 without having a full-blown frost. Okay. That's, you know, that's a good effort. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm grateful for this morning. Man, it's been cold though. Like we had we had so much ice on our windscreen that it wouldn't go away. Okay, I man, I didn't experience that at all. That's because you're closer to the coast. Yeah, that's true. Yes, but well, I guess I'm grateful for that. <laughs> you can be grateful for being closer to the coast, where yeah. it is that tad bit warmer. Mm-hmm. All the people further out west to be like frost, frost. What are you talking about? We've been having a frost every night for the last three months, but. <laughs> That's all right. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Indeed. Let's talk about some positively different news this morning. Make our day happy, Lawson. All right. Remember how the other day I talked about a, a nose, like a, an artificial nose that can sniff out COVID. Yes. And it's just like, you know, it's a, an AI computer program and it sniffs yes. around. And it takes about 80 seconds and it can be like, yep, this person is infected by, you know, has, has COVID. Now, yes. okay, it gets even, it gets even crazier, Lyle. This is some nuts technology It gets even in world. more wild. Cause, cause, okay, with the COVID thing, it makes sense because COVID is an airborne, inf- like contagious disease. Yes. Um, that is a virus that has little microbes, around, all these kinds of things. They now, uh, well, researchers, scientists at uh, Penn State University in Pennsylvania in the, in the United States, uh, which is an epic state, an epic story behind it, and William Penn and all that stuff. Uh, but yeah, researchers at Penn State University have created an AI nose that sniffs out cancer really? from blood samples. Wow. Not only... But can't you just look at blood samples and see cancer? No, but this is the thing, Lyle, is that it, it can immediately identify. Just bam. No time for, for like an... Uh, so like, anytime you take a blood sample, you can just sort of like run it past the sniffer and see if there's any cancer. Literally. And not only <laughs> is it just like... It, can it just say, oh, you have cancer, but it can uh, distinguish what kind of cancer... You have, um, whether it be, you know, pancreatic or benign or ovarian cancer cells, um, with a 95% accuracy. That's better than the COVID sniffer. And it's almost 
immediately as well. This, so this is a this is this like, is like this is not like go to uh, take your have your blood taken and come back in three days time. No. This is like let me take a little bit of blood. Okay, we'll put that here. Ah, uh, you don't have cancer, or ah, uh, you have cancer. Dude, literally, like this machine could be sitting beside your GP, and you feel unwell, and you know they prick your finger. They just prick your finger, sniff sniff it, and bam, like they can tell. That's pretty cool. This is amazing. It's so, <laughs> That's amazing. As you can imagine, like this this tool, they've been just like working on it and working on it. So what they need to do is make a machine that has both noses side by side. So you prick your finger and you get two diagnoses all at once. Well, you would need but two. Noses. You don't have you COVID. Get, you have cancer. You just get one or nose. You have both. Or you, you just have make neither. it all in one nose. I feel like this is the thing: is that they're finding if the, if two like different universities are creating. AI noses that can sniff out different types of things, then you could just combine them and make the one nose. And then from there, just like, uh, like what are other blood type, like, you know, blood diseases? Like malaria, malaria, typhoid, HIV, like just program it to sniff out all of those. Cause I'm assuming, dude, if cancer cells have an odor that can be sniffed out, well then so do, you know, these other diseases and, you know, airborne diseases like COVID, but also like all kinds of flus and plagues. Like hundred percent, they've got odors as well because they're one would think so. They're airborne. So the point is, is that this is this is the way, Lyle. You just get sniffed. This is the way of the future. This is right here, literally the future. To have a robot come and sniff you. Yeah, the, I think the most amazing thing about this is the accuracy, though, because usually you find with like machines like this, and particularly in this phase of trial, like you wouldn't you wouldn't think it would be as successful at it as it as it was. But ninety five percent accuracy rate, it is like that is like ready for you know. There are other tools that they use in medicine that have far lower accuracy rates. This thing is ready to go, and that's where they're kind of at at the moment. Is they're trying to kind of get a. They're in the R and D phase now. They're kind of wrap, trying to wrap it all up to get it ready for development as a commercial uh, health tool that they can sell all over. Yeah. The so world. the thing is that you know even with blood tests, they're not a hundred percent. Mm. Sometimes you get a blood test and you get a false, false positive or false negative or whatever it is, and you got to go back and do it again. Mm. Yeah. So, so even a, you know, there are there are up there. I don't know what the accuracy of a blood test is on uh-huh. various diseases. I guess with some diseases it, it is a hundred percent, but I've certainly seen false positives and false negatives on blood blood tests before. Mm. Yeah, interesting stuff. So I guess we'll see. You know, whether this. Uh, this, you know, maybe this will get like bought up by Big Pharma or by the medicine industry and never released, or maybe we'll, I guess we'll see what happens. But for right now, it's, uh, it's, it's doing its thing. Okay. I need to talk about this story because I thought it was kind of funny. Um, you know, we actually, I think it was last week when we talked about the richest pastors in the world. Yes. And where did they come from? Like? Nigeria. Nigeria. And so I came across... The a... land of scams. Yeah, well, I came across a story this morning. Babylon is fallen. This is... <laughs> Wild. I came across a story this morning, and it, it, at, at the beginning, it's like, okay, that seems like a good thing. But then some of the claims that are made, I'm like, uh, okay, so check this out. A company in Nigeria started building houses uh, with plastic bottles by using like recycled plastic bottles. And what they do is they get the plastic bottle, they fill it with sand and mortar and some, I, I don't know, they just says they fill it with sand. I, I'm, I, I just added mortar because I'm like, wouldn't you want the sand to be hard? But no, it just literally says they fill it with sand. Um, and then they like use, I think, mortar and some other stuff and make houses out of it. 
And now on the surface, this seems like a good idea because it's like, oh, sustainable housing, recycling, all these different things. Um, and then I started reading the claims about this. Um, um, called Bottle Brick Technology, uh, reports uh, have shown that they are 18 times stronger than regular bricks. And I read that and I was like, okay, 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 okay. Let's, let's back up a little bit. So you're saying... That a plastic bottle filled with sand is 18 times stronger than regular bricks. Well, it depends how you define strength. Mm. Because if you're going to build a defensive barrier in, say, a military environment, you wouldn't build it with bricks, you'd build it with sandbags. Yes. Because bricks won't stop bullets, whereas sandbags will. Yeah. I mean, bricks will stop bullets, but nothing like as effectively as a sandbag. Mm-hmm. So bricks are hard and brittle. Sandbags are okay. All right, keep going, keep going, keep going. Yeah, so, so essentially, like, yep, they of scams. Are they scamming us with this one? So, I mean, should we just go and collect our plastic bottles and go build a house? Build a house. Um, but this is the thing: is that like you've got plastic bottles at the bricks as the bricks, but then the rest of the house is made using mud technology, which is like you know when they make like mud huts. Yes, and and the mud goes around. The it's interesting bricks. how they take something that is like about 4,000 years old and call it technology yeah, and makes yeah, it yeah, sound yeah. very cool. Um, and apparently it takes about 14,000 plastic bottles to make a single house. Right. But, okay, I just want to show you this. Okay, so, but this is interesting because, I mean, Africa is, the whole continent is just awash with plastic bottles. Yeah. You, you just can't move without bumping into plastic bottles. They just litter the entire country mm-hmm. because people are trying to drink more hygienic uh, fluids, mm-hmm. and so there's just you know an unimaginable amount of plastic bottles. I don't care whether they're eight times stronger, stronger or not. Let's okay, build houses out of them. This is the last piece of evidence that I want to show you, Lyle. So right. in this, in this, uh, this is like a thumbnail for the video, yes. and these are the plastic bottles here with the mud beside it. Yes. You see these gaps here? Yes. So and then I see that, and I'm like, does that look sturdy to you? No. Does that look even to you? Does that no. look like even livable to you? <laughs> well, hey, you know, if you compare that to some of the other houses that you and I have seen in Africa, then probably definitely livable. I don't know, man. I, I'm just looking at this. I'm like, a little bit skeptical. This looks like a scam. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to live in a plastic bottle house. Ah, uh, yes, but you know, there are probably plenty worse things to live in. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right, what's going on, Lyle? Current news in the world of the more world. serious news. Okay, if you don't like masks, there's a simple way of not having to wear a mask. Don't go outside. If you are in one of these jurisdictions <laughs> where you are required to wear a mask, is it? Is it? Don't go outside. So the uh, let me see here. Where was it? Uh, da, 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 da. The Simpson Central Elementary School in the United States uh, is a mask. Uh, mandating school. Mm. So you have to wear a mask if you don't go there. But a third grader from that school was recently ordered to remove her mask by the principal. Why? And never put it back on again, ever. Why? Because it said on the front of it, Jesus loves me. (gasps) Um, And that could not be tolerated under any circumstances whatsoever at all. uh, Okay, 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 okay. Was the solution that she had to put on a different mask? Uh, doesn't say. So, okay. you know, probably. 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 Anyway, but, she got to take it off. Yeah, the sentiment. Yeah. 
Okay, so this is uh, so so this is this is how you you know just just get the um, the PC woke crowd upset and wow get rid of your mask just like that. That's so crazy. Okay, now, this is this is interesting because this is in a country that's very different from Australia. Uh huh. This is a country that has uh, in their constitution freedom of speech and freedom of religion. We don't have a legislative. Uh, a, a legislated mandate for either of those things in this mm. country. We we have them as assumptions, uh, but we don't have them mm. legally. Whereas in the US, they legally do freedom of religion, freedom to express your religion, freedom to witness of your religion, freedom to share your religion with others. But here, this girl was forced to take off. She's nine years old. Mm. This is a nine-year-old girl, right? Yeah, wow. You're going to go after a nine-year-old girl uh-huh. over an issue like this because you're offended with their mask because it's proclaiming that Jesus loves you. Because this is you know oh, forcing yikes. this is this is a nine-year-old girl forcing her religion down everybody else's throats. Hmm. You know. Um, so yeah, this is a country that does have free speech and does have freedom of religion, and that kind of violates both of those things. Now the same school allows. Of course, uh, BLM masks, sporting teams masks, you know, you're allowed to have that kind of thing, but as soon as you have anything about Jesus on there, you're in trouble. That's so intense. I don't even know how that happens. Like, I, I feel like some of the stories you share, Lyle, are so wild. Like, I'm I'm sitting here like, okay, okay. Oh, did, did, was there an okay. appeal for this? Did they? Oh, absolutely, there's an appeal in process right now. Be mm-hmm. interesting to see where it goes. Um, but uh, this got so so big because this nine year old kid, she was like, she's obviously a bit tough, and so initially she's like, no, I'm not taking it off, and so they they're like, if you don't take it off, you'll be suspended. But what? But but she's wearing a mask, like <laughs> yeah, I know she's wearing a mask, <laughs> but she's not allowed to wear a mask that says Jesus loves you on it. Okay, can can the mask say Jesus loves me? I. <laughs> I just want to talk to these people. Do we have a statement for Okay, while we're, while we're on this subject of schools and freedom of religion, uh-huh. why don't we talk about PE teacher Byron Cross? Okay. Uh, he is from Virginia, Leesburg, Virginia, mm-hmm. elementary school there. So uh, working with kids once again. Mm-hmm. And he stated that he would not lie to students uh, that a biological boy can be a girl or vice versa. Mm. That was his position. He stated it clearly that that's what he believed, that's what science taught, and that was his religious uh, conviction. Mm-hmm. Why you have to have a religious conviction on something that's based on science, I don't know. But anyway, yeah. be that as it may, that, enough, was, that yeah. was his religious conviction. And that was kind of the, his, uh, his, his, his safety because that's, you've kind of got to have this safety thing in the United States right now because you've got to present it as your sincerely held religious beliefs because if you present it as a political or scientific belief – then you're in trouble. Mm. Anyway, so what happened to him? Well, he was suspended as well, immediately, on the spot, banned from accessing the school grounds or contacting any of the children. Um, and it was stayed, uh, because they were worried that you know his position was a form of child abuse. Well, he said that what they were teaching was child abuse. I w- would have to agree with him. And so um, he took this one to court, and the moment it got to court, the judge immediately ordered that the defendant shall immediately reinstate the plaintiff. So the court didn't even blink. They're like, no, give this guy his job back. Yeah, wow. 
Wow. So it is good to see some very positive uh, mm. moves in the world in relationship to uh, some of these issues of religious liberty and freedom and freedom of speech. Well, particularly in the United States where, yes, their constitution is now starting to bite the wokists mm-hmm. uh, and they are unable to stop as much you know, speech as what they thought they may have been able to do in the past. Wow. Mm. So, yeah, these are, they are just a couple of samples right there. Um, I uh, was speaking on the issue of religious liberty um, this last Saturday at Hamilton Church and pointed out that you can go onto the internet any day you want and there will be a current story on the issue of religious liberty somewhere in the world right mm-hmm. now. And this simply was not the case when I started in radio. Mm. In fact, it wasn't the case even 18 months ago. Yeah, wow. But I can do a religious liberty story here every single day. Mm. I can do multiple religious liberty stories here every single day. I kind of, you know, like to mix up the stories and yeah. make it a bit, a bit eclectic here on The Breakfast Show. Mm. But I can do it every day. And we're talking about in the West as well. Because, That's right. Because there's always going to be, like, even back yes, then, there's always going to be a story, of, you know, from Pakistan China or China, Pakistan, like yeah. something like that. But we're talking about, you know, where where we're from. Freedom-loving right? freedom loving countries. Yeah. Yes. Christian-founded countries, you know, uh-huh, like, uh-huh, like uh-huh. with constitutions that, like, you know, assume the existence of God, <laughs> like with a court system that assumes, uh, assumes the existence of God. Wow, that's powerful. So in uh, the state of Israel, of course, Benjamin Netanyahu has been replaced by Naftali Bennett as the Prime Minister of Israel. It's interesting to see the reactions from around the world. So uh, Naftali Bennett is seen as a right-wing millionaire, Mm-hmm. He ha- he does have alliances with an Arab uh, minority party, mm-hmm. uh, with close relationships to Palestinians. So that's kind of a positive Oof. we can see there. Hopefully that will bring a little bit of peace. But at the same time, he's the former defence minister for Benjamin Netanyahu, and so he has been involved in you know, the various wars and civil wars that have taken place in the state of Israel. Mm-hmm. And so some people are thinking, well, is he going to bring more peace or less peace? What fascinates me is the blind support that is given to the nation of Israel, Mm. particularly by the United States. It's kind of unquestioning support, and even for Benjamin Netanyahu, where you have people, you know, he's he's got so much uh, allegations of corruption that are just surrounding his government right now even if a small fraction of them are true, he's an incredibly corrupt person. Mm. It is unlikely that none of them are true. Mm. And so, you know, I think a wise person would hold back on taking sides with a particular individual, even if you support the government that they stand for. What I find interesting is that the evangelical support for the state of Israel is kind of, for the most part, irrespective of the government. Mm-hmm. It's like a left wing or a right wing. We don't care. We're just going to support the state of Israel regardless of, of what is happening um, over there. I, th- I think that a lot of people are snapping out of it, though. Like there is a growing movement. Yes, yeah, because we live in Australia. In, no, but even in the United States of people, like they've seen what's happened this year and they're like, not supporting it, particularly amongst young people. That's where amongst young people, college students in the United States, like they're really moving away from that. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. 
Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia. Joining us on the phone this morning is Barrandit Neustraten, who is our resident expert on the book of Genesis. And we've been gradually working our way through the book of Genesis. We are up to, I think we're up to chapter 21 here. Uh, Barand, what are we talking about today? Yeah, it's a fascinating. Good morning to you and uh, to everybody that's listening. It's a fascinating chapter, the 21st uh, chapter there of the book of Genesis, because uh, while it has its ramifications still today, and uh, that makes it such an interesting chapter. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot in it. Oh, there certainly is. And it begins with the birth of Isaac. And, of course, Isaac being circumcised, that is mentioned here in the chapter. And yeah. this creates a tremendous amount of turmoil in the family. Why is that? Yeah, it, it wasn't actually so much the circumcision. Now, um, it, it, it really goes back uh, to a habit, uh, what shall I say, a custom, that a child would uh, would uh, would be weaned uh, by the mothers uh, at the age of about in that culture at that time at about three years of age, um, and we have an interesting situation here. We've had uh, we've had uh, Ishmael, and he's been the only son for some almost thirteen, fourteen years, and now another one comes along, and uh, the little child is now being weaned. So. We've got to appreciate that Ishmael is 17 and, uh, and the, the little child here, Isaac, or Yitzchak as it is in Hebrew, um, he is only three years of age. And, uh, it is pretty clear that in the, yeah, let me explain, in the, uh, in the celebration of the weaning when the child is supposed to take solid food on that very particular day, he's being mocked by Ishmael. Uh, who now realizes, and as did his mom, Hagar, that the one that, that is really going to be established as the heir to uh, to Abram, of course, is the child Isaac and uh, Isaac. And that is, of course, what upsets them, uh, particularly Hagar, I suppose. And, uh, you know, they were accustomed to the fact that the only one that was the a logical heir would have been Ishmael until that date when the recognition is now conveyed to uh, Isaac. And I can, I, I can see it as being incredibly disruptive, you know, for Ishmael himself and, you know, because he's grown up, he is the heir of yeah. uh, just a massive fortune. Abraham is a wealthy person. He has always since his birth known that this is his birthright and now it's been taken away. Now, you know, in yeah. our society today, we would say, well, why didn't he feel that way at the time of the birth? Why does he now feel that way at the time of the weaning? And as you mentioned, there was a, you know, there's a special, special celebration that was associated with that. Yeah. But I also think that, you know, within the culture and the times, you know, you had a very high child mortality rate and it was highest yeah. the younger were, they were. And by the time they've made it through to three, they then have a much better chance of surviving through to adulthood. And so this is at a point where, yeah, Isaac has become a very significant threat. He, in fact, he, he he is the threat that has now effectively dethroned Ishmael. Yeah, what a disaster yeah. this creates in Abraham's family. Yes, it does. The tension would have been palpable. Uh, Lyle. Can you imagine? 
uh, particularly between Hager and Sarai, it was not sustainable. And it is therefore not too remarkable that God advises Abram this time to listen to his wife's voice and, 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 and follow the instruction or, or grant the demand to send the lad away and, of course, his mom. It is very distasteful to Abram. He doesn't want to do that. But God directs him to listen to Sarah this time and to do so. That would have been tremendously painful for Abraham as well to very, be separated from his son. Yeah, very painful. You, you can imagine. You can imagine because, you know, when people moved to Elah, they were not ever likely to meet up again. So there's your own flesh and blood. And you tell them to go away. All the memories visit and all the feelings and uh, the affections. And God promised to look after him and that he would make him, uh, you know, of him a great nation, which which is actually very interesting. As you and I know, Ishmael is the progenitor of the Arab, particularly the northern Arab tribes from Saudi Arabia. And, of course, uh, they believe that he uh, is the, that Muhammad is actually a direct ancestor of Ishmael. And it's an interesting thought because when you look at it and you compare the two nations that have come from Abraham, you know, his direct descendants, the yeah. Arabs are actually a much bigger nation than the Jews. Would that be a fair thing to say? Oh, more than fair. You have, uh, you have probably about 16, 17 million Jews around the world currently. When the Second World War, of course, did reduce the number something horrific. But uh, if you compare it to the hundreds of millions of Arabs, you could fairly say that uh, once you sort out the ones that actually came as a descendancy from Ismail, you could still say that many, many, many times over, Ismail was far more fruitful, if you like. The descendants were much, much more extensive. Oh, absolutely. So we have a rivalry between these two sons. I mean, for Isaac, he's three years old. He probably doesn't really understand what's going on at this stage. But there's no. definitely a rivalry there from Ishmael's side. And that rivalry has also never really gone away. No, <laughs> right up until recent. When you look at the Middle Eastern situation, where you have the uh, Hamas and uh, Israel, uh, you know, from the Hamas from the Gaza Strip, because that's what they control, the rocket fires and the bombardments by the Israelis, uh, etc., and, and the sadness of hundreds of people, innocent people mainly, are losing their lives. And it's this indicative of the tension that was created right to the very chapter of chapter 21 of the book of Genesis which is remarkable. Yes, for a, a, a rivalry to continue that long. And, I mean, this is literally thousands of years of rivalry between these two nations. And, of course, yeah. you know, the argument as to who was the rightful heir, well, that continues down to our day as well. Well, absolutely, you're so right. This is, what, this is the problem. If you ask an Arab if they believe they're entitled to the land, you ask a Jew, he'll tell you the same thing. And it culminates in the most uh, holy site of, of course, Mount Moriah, which is where the only place where the, the Jew could ever resume the temple services. If, if they did, it has to be on that location. But, of course, it also is the third most holy site of Islam after Mecca, Medina, uh, the, 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 the Dome on the Rock, the Mosque of Omar is the... Is the, is the third most holy site of Islam. So that's never going to be touched, and not even by Israel, even though they military control it. It is one of those 
situations where you, when you look at it and you look at Abraham's family and you look at the complexities of that family, you've got the complexity of Abraham effectively having two wives. And I can't even imagine yeah. how much stress that would create within the family. Then you combine yeah. that with two sons that are both rivals with each other, one that is a lot older, a lot bigger, a lot stronger, one that is young yeah. and weak and fragile, and, you know, you can see that there's very clearly some danger here involved. I mean, yeah. this is a dysfunctional household on a level that we probably don't really understand in our society today. No, and it is so remarkable that here we are, we are now some, some 3,800 years further down the track, and it still is so prevalent. And, and the reality is uh, it all stems from that one mistake. He should have never married Hagar. He should have been, yeah, what shall I say, uh, believing and trusting God that the heir would be forthcoming as indeed, ultimately, that God tested him and he, yeah, he folded on that one. That was uh, the most unfortunate decision that uh, has had its ramifications for millennia and still today. So and it won't go away. Yeah. So often we look at sin as being a small thing and we look at a, a particular sin as like, well, I'm just going to do this yeah. sin because, you know, there's not going to be any serious consequences. Nothing bad is ever going to happen from it. You know, it, it, it'll be fine, not realizing that it could have consequences that uh, last for a very, yeah. very long time indeed. Barand, the story continues. Yeah. When Hagar and Ishmael leave, they actually fall on very, very hard times even facing starvation and dehydration. Can you just take us through what happens there? Yeah. It's interesting that the travel at the time that people would conduct themselves is, is interesting. Now, Abram gave her, a, it's like a bottle of skin, if you like, with, with water, which would take her to the next well. People would travel from well to well to well, and they would be familiar with the territory. But there must have been a misorientation. The wells were sometimes actually obscured uh, because of, for uh, you know, uh, evaporation purposes, or, or what shall I say, that animals might fall into it. She didn't. She didn't see the well. Uh, she was in the proximity because after she cried out, the God opened her eyes and she saw. She saw the well. That's how they used to travel from well to well. Now, it's interesting, in the case of, um, of Ismail and Hagar, they did not really go back to Egypt other than for her to get him a wife. But once she procured a wife for him, they went to a different territory, which is uh, uh, near a place called Kadesh Barnea, which is really well known in the, in the Exodus. It's really the northern part of the Sinai Desert. Uh, so well, still well away from the settlement of uh, of uh, of Abraham. Uh, now, of course, the reason that she went down to Egypt to find a wife for her son was because she was Egyptian herself. This was her, yes. her homeland. She was probably visiting with family down there. Uh, it would be a natural Good thing to do when you know, as a single mother, you've I guess been booted out of the family. It's like, well, where do you go for help? Yeah. Uh, in those days, that was provided for by the family. But then she yeah. heads back to a territory that's kind of somewhere between the two. Yeah, so she, so um, we look at Ishmael, and in the 25th chapter of the, of the book of Genesis, 
he has got 12 sons of princes, you know, they're, they're, they're mentioned by name. Um, and, and, you know, in, in numerical value, well, his, his offspring is far superior to that of, of, of course, the, of the Israelites later on. Uh, and Ishmael lived for 137 years. And, uh, yeah, he yeah, was buried uh, with his, uh, at his mom's grave. And that grave site is still sort of identifiable in the Saudi Arabia. Um, but uh, he definitely is regarded as the progenitor of the, uh, the cult of the Arabs. Yes. Now, Barand, what about Hagar and Ishmael and their faith in God? Clearly, Hagar comes from Egypt. We would assume that she comes from a pagan background of some description. When they yeah. are traveling, we find that they are still relying heavily on God because when they can't find that well, they are calling out to God. Do they remain servants of Jehovah, of Yahweh, or do they go back to pagan practices of the Egyptians or the locals? The Bible is relatively silent on that. You, know, you always wonder, don't you, what happened to them? I mean, God spoke to her. Uh, she certainly believed in God and accepted God and, and, and followed his directions. She did do that. We don't know too much about Ishmael. Uh, he was. Uh, he certainly would not have been the easiest. Um, you know, there is a prediction there that the the Arabs would be and the people that would be, they would have their conflicts and that certainly has come about in between themselves, by the way, as well. And, you know, that is uh, no less uh, expressing the Sunashi-Ite relationships of the Arab nations. And you could talk about that for a long time and it's still prevalent today. So uh, it's interesting that, yeah, the ramifications, it is so enormous, isn't it? Uh, it just fascinates me. Mm. That uh, we have here, we have a book that absolutely records the actual origin, and uh, we can recognise uh, the unfolding of it. Yes, and even when I talk to uh, you know quite a number of my Muslim friends who come from an Arab background and speak you know fluent Arabic and so forth, we talk about the wars that are being fought in the Middle East, and of course. You know, the West loves to get involved in those wars, but they tell me every time, you know, these are just Arabs fighting each other. There's really no no reason for us to be going over there and getting involved unless there's oil involved or something like that. I mean, there's been a civil war happening in Yemen for now how long? I don't even know how long. And we don't bother getting involved with that because there are no resources there, but as soon as something happens in Syria or Iraq or, you know, somewhere like that where oil is involved, then it's like, well, we have to uh, have a moral influence in the world all of a sudden. I think the reality is it's more about money than it is about uh, morality. Oh, absolutely. Uh, look, I don't think there ever was an, uh, an honourable intent of the West in uh, getting involved in the Middle East other than experience and advantage uh, that they took off of the people at the time when they were still so underdeveloped. And they always had a colonialistic view of the Middle East, you know, that they couldn't really look after themselves. And they're not doing a terribly good job either because of their conflicts, which is, as I said, mainly between Sunni and, and Shiites. And the Shiite being the biggest minority, they're about quarter of 20% of, of, of all Islamic uh, nations. Sunni is far more numerical. But they still, if you look at the various nations, they still have their boys, they have their battlefields where they fight out their ideology. 
and yeah, oil is involved, but they now control the oil much more so. And uh, there are vested interests, of course, when of some of the nations that still want to prevail and, and lord it over the others. It will never settle. It, it, it is an unstable region, and the tragedy is the loss of life and the tremendous displacements that have been there. You know, you think of Syria. That is terrible what's happened there. Mm. It's absolutely horrific tragedy. Baron, very quickly to finish up, was there ever any further contact between Ishmael and Isaac and Abraham any further on in the story, or did was this the last time that these two families had any contact with each other? They did get together to, to, to bury Abraham, and that probably uh, would be somewhere in the 25th chapter so Abram's dead, and so it would, let me just have a look here. Yeah, Abram died at the age of 175, and he died, and so it says in verse 9, And his son's Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before Memorab, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite. That's another very contested uh, spot between the Islamic people and the Jewish people, as you know. But there Ishmael and, uh, and Isaac did get together, to do the honourable thing and bury their path. Yes, it's just a good thing that the cave has two entrances so that they can sort of uh, have one each as a site of pilgrimage to this day. But, yeah, yeah. interesting stuff. Barand, thank you so much for joining us here on Faith FM this morning. We always appreciate your insights on the book of Genesis. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.